O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by, your, by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come to your word, God, we come humbly, knowing that you have given us the scriptures to point us to Christ, knowing that you have given us the scriptures to remind us of the reason, the hope that we have, that you have given them to us because, God, we are all prone to wonder. We are prone to stray. We are prone to leave the God that we love. And so, Lord, as we come to the Scriptures tonight and as we hear the Scriptures preached, I pray that you would point us back to Christ, that you would remind us of God's love and His grace that was given to us by Christ's great work on the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been in the book of Galatians. We've been talking about children's church. Yep. Me and Ben always forget. We never remember. In fact, Fraser preached for us one, one time last week, and he remembered, and the two pastors never remember Children's Church. So the children are dismissed for Children's Church. So again, we're in the book of Galatians, and just sort of as a little overview for those that have not been here with us. The Galatians Church, Paul is, is, um, ha- founded the Galatian Church He was the one that went there and preached the gospel on his missionary journeys, saw people profess their faith in Christ. And so a church was started in Galatia. And as that church began to grow, some sort of false teachers began to move in and basically began to undermine what Paul was doing there. They began to teach that it wasn't just putting your faith in Jesus Christ, but it was putting your faith in Jesus Christ and being circumcised. It was putting your faith in Jesus Christ and keeping the ceremonial Jewish laws. And so Paul is very, very uh, adamant. He loves the Galatian church, and he wants to help them understand that to add to the gospel is to leave the gospel. To, to add to the work of Christ is basically to have no work of Christ. And so basically there's this big dispute going on whether Paul really has the credits that he needs if he really is an apostle, or is he just sort of a secondary apostle And so Paul comes in and shares a few things about why his apostleship is genuine. Basically, the question is, is who is living in the dream world? Are the Judaizers, are they right, or is Paul right? Is it all of Christ, or is it Christ plus going to church every Sunday? Is it Christ plus reading my Bible every week? You know, I was going to use this illustration. 
you know, sometimes there's people that are so frightful, they're so fearful of death, they can't function in society. Like every day they get up and they're, they're worried about, am I going to get hit by a car? Is someone going to shoot me? Am I going to get bit by a spider? You know, just on and on and on uh, in such a manner, in such a way that they're paralyzed, they, they can't function in society. We might even say those people are, uh, you know, a, a little psychotic or maybe they're, um, you know, they're, they're just not living in reality. But as you think about that and you give some thought to that, are you more delusional that you live like that, that you actually think about those things, or are you more delusional if you never contemplate them, right? If you, if you, if you never think about death. If you, I mean, think about all the ways you could die and that you never give thought to that. And so that's the question as we're looking at that, this today is that the Judaizers saying, hey, look, Paul's the, he, he's this delusional guy who doesn't know what he's talking about. And Paul's actually like, no, you're actually the ones that have missed the gospel. You're actually the ones that are living in this non-reality. In verse 1, it says this. It says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? One of the things that you're going to see in this passage is that the nature of humanity, sort of the nature of of us all is a bent towards ourselves, or sort of an inclination towards self-reliance and self-dependency, sort of relying totally on who we are. And there's this continual sort of daydreaming that we all do, right? That we can be the hero, right? I, I know if we, if we were to ask that question, how many of you always put yourself as being the hero that we might save the day? And it's this, that Paul is coming to the Galatians and he's saying, listen, you are not the hero. You, you don't have it within yourself to find Christ. You don't have it within yourselves to climb your way into heaven. And you know, that's one of the, one of the ways that Satan himself sort of blinds us. That he keeps telling us, hey, yeah, you, you can get it done, right? You, you can jump over the Grand Canyon. Come on, come on. I, I, know, I know you keep failing, but you can do it. You can do it. And even as Christians, even as those who have put their faith in Christ, even as the Galatians, there's this tendency, there's this temptation to add to what Christ has done for us. There's this temptation to think that I need to do something. And so Paul, he's pleading, he's, he's urging the Galatians not to get drawn back into this delusional dream of self-reliance, this delusional dream of self-confidence. He's saying, don't go back there. Don't go back to a works-based righteousness. You see, the powerful draw of all the religions of the world is this. You've got something to offer. Think about that. All the religions of the world, they teach you bring something to the table. That if you just work hard enough and do enough good, that you can actually get it done. It's one of the reasons that I think the gospel is the only message that's true. Because it's the only message that says you bring nothing to the table. You have nothing to offer. God needs nothing of what you have. And it's all of grace. You see, a lot of times we think we contribute to what God has done. Right? We all seek good, done, good job, well done. That's what we all want. That's what most people in the world want to hear. Even those who are non-religious, they want to hear, that a boy, you got it done. They want to hear the applaud 
But the problem is the road that we travel to receive that applaud is most of the time self-effort or self-reliance. And in doing that, we get the glory, right? We get the credit. It was Martin Luther, when he was in, um, he was in the Augustinian order, and one of the things that drove Luther to Christ almost drove him crazy, almost drove him to the point that the priest at the monastery actually thought he was a little loony, was this idea that no matter how much he did, he could never cleanse his soul. No matter what he did, he could never make himself right with God. So much so that he worked harder than any of the other monks. He like put them to shame in how much he worked every day trying to make himself right with God. And when he was not working and cleaning and doing good, he was, he was before the priest confessing his sin. So he was either working or he was confessing. And he was working and he was confessing. And the priest was like, Luther, you're going to go insane like this. But the truth is, Luther understood what Paul is trying to get the Galatians to understand. You cannot be made right with God by your own efforts. You cannot be made right with God by running on the treadmill of life. Paul comes to the Galatians and he's like, are you guys under a spell? Are you guys so foolish? Are you in such self-denial that you would abandon Christ, that you would abandon what Christ has done for you in order to climb your way into heaven? Paul is coming and he's like, you Galatians, you know good and well you can't even keep your own law, right? If we all sat down here today and took out a pen and wrote down about ten things that we didn't want to do the rest of our life, none of us would keep them because we're all lawbreakers. And Paul is trying to help the Galatians. He's trying to help them see, hey, listen, don't go back to self-reliance. Don't go back to trying to earn it. Don't go back to trying to get it done on your own. You see, the Galatians had started well. They had put their hope and trust in Christ, but now they were in danger of adding to what Christ had done. You see, even if we use our own standards, even if we use our own measuring tapes, even if we use our own plumb line, right? We never live up. Think about sports. Think about sports and athletics in America. Okay? Think about the game of baseball, right? If you bat 300, we make you an all-star. That means you get, you, you get a hit three out of ten times. Then think about basketball. It's a little bit better. If you make 50% of your baskets then right, you're an all-star. Think about how we lower the standards, right? Because we're not perfect. None of us are perfect. None of us can get it done. None of us are able to attain heaven on our own. You see, Paul, he understands that apart from Christ, and apart from putting our hope in Christ, there's There's no hope of being made right with God. You see, God gave us the law. He gave us the law not as a ladder, but He gave us the law sort of as railroad tracks to lead us to Christ, to show us who Christ is. And Paul says, let me point out one thing here, Galatians. 
He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your very eyes that Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. It's Paul's way of saying to the Galatians, hey Galatians, are, are you serious? Like, like you really think that you're able to make yourself right with God? Just look at the cross. Just look at the crucifixion of Christ. Right? If there's another way, how foolish would it have been for God to put Christ through the suffering and the agony that He went through? And Paul says, look, Galatians, that should be enough. That should be enough to convince you that you are not able by your own righteousness to come to God. You see, the offense of the cross is this. The reason people are often offended by the gospel is the gospel basically says you can't get it done. You're a failure. You're not able to make yourself right with God. And so Paul comes in. He's like, listen, Galatians, it's, it's the Judaizers that are delusional. It is those who have lost their senses thinking that they can be made right by the law. And so Paul is begging, pleading, with them, do not abandon Christ. You see, the Galatians had found themselves inside the ark, right? You guys remember the story of Noah and the ark. The ark was the only place to be found safe in the flood. The ark was the only place that you could find rest and peace in the midst of the storm. And Paul had preached the gospel to the Galatians. He, was, he had shared with them about Christ and Christ's life and death and resurrection. He's like, Galatians, the only safe place from God's wrath is in Christ. And he's like, please, don't leave the ark. You see, the ark was a picture of that. It was an illustration of that. And so today, church, if you find yourself in Christ, don't leave the safety of the ark thinking that you're able to tread the waters of God's wrath, thinking that you're able to climb your way into God's good graces. And so what Paul will do is he will ask a series of questions here to the Galatians. And they're these kind of questions that basically are just made to get your attention and say, what are you doing? Are you, or, or, have you got your head in the sand? Are you that foolish? Honestly, the kind of language that Paul is using here, it's almost like, are you that stupid that you would leave Christ, that you would leave God's love thinking by your own self-righteousness you can be made right with Him. And verse 2 says this, let me ask you only this, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing of faith? How did you come to Christ, Galatians? How did you become a new creation? How did you get this new heart and become this new person? Did you earn it? Did you work hard for it? Did you keep all the commandments? Did you love your neighbor as yourself? Did you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Have any of you done that, Galatians? And of course, the answer is, is no. Absolutely not. Or did God shine the light of His grace into your heart? Did God take His commandments and shine onto your heart and show you your failures and show you your sin? You see, the law brings us to Christ. The law is not a Savior. 
The commands of God do not redeem us. Because right, if the law saves you, the only way it can save you is if you're perfect. If you keep the law without flaw, without error. So Paul is reminding the Galatians, how did you begin this race? How did you come to Christ? Did you not hear the good news of Christ that I preach and put your faith in Him? There was no work to be done. Christ did all the work. You simply trusted in His righteousness. You trusted in who He was, who He is. So what Paul is doing here is he's creating for us this formula and this equation. And it's sort of like he's laying out these crumbs. You remember the little story of Hansel and Gretel, how they put down the breadcrumbs so they could find their way back home. And Paul is trying to lead the Galatians back home. He's trying to help lead them back to Christ. He's saying, listen, you, you are leaving your first love. You are leaving the one that cares for your soul. Let me lead you back to Christ. And the way that he is doing that is he's saying we are all lawbreakers who cannot live up to our own standard. Think about that. Think, think how, how delusional and how foolish it is for us to think that even though we are lawbreakers, all of us, that though we can't keep even the Ten Commandments, much less the Beatitudes, right? much less loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But yet most of the world thinks that we're going to be declared righteous one day in and of our own efforts. Think about that for a moment. Think about how many times you fail at your job. Think about how many times you can't live up to your own standards. Oh, all I want to do is just love my neighbor like myself. And before I leave the church today, I'll fail. But yet we as humanity think that we're going to be declared just one day. Isn't that something? And Paul is saying, listen, guys, we're, we're all broken. The pastor and the prostitute are broken and in need of Christ's righteousness. Do you really think you can get it done through your self-reliance? And then secondly, he comes in in the next portion of the formula. He's saying, listen, God came to earth, incarnated with us, and then died the horrific death of the Roman crucifixion because there is no other way to come to Christ. There's no other way to be made right with God. And then thirdly, he is saying the new birth the Spirit came by God's kindness and mercy. And by the way, Galatians, none of you were seeking after God when He found you. And by the way, church, if you're in Christ, none of you were looking for Jesus when He found you. And so Paul is laying out this formula. He's laying out this equation. And he's trying to get the Galatians to see how foolish it is. How absurd it is. What a dreamland it is to think that you can justify yourself. Verse 3, Paul again begins, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Have you experienced the new birth through faith in Christ? And are you now leaving Christ? 
Can you hear Hebrews 6, 4, and 5 in that? You've tasted of the heavenly gifts. You've shared in the Holy Spirit. You've pulled your, your, you pulled your chair under God's banquet table, and you can smell the food and the goodness of God's graces. And now you're about to return to the garbage heap. Do you see what Paul's doing? He's saying, listen, Galatians, when you put your hope in Christ, you get all of this. You get all the inheritance, and it's all guaranteed. You get to come to God's banquet table. You get to pull your chair under there, and you get to feast, and you get to eat, and you get to enjoy who He is. Romans 8.13 says this, All who live according to the flesh will die. See, Paul is trying to help them see and understand that the inheritance can only be guaranteed in Christ. That the importance of the promise that I read earlier that, that God will be our God and we will be His people, the only reason that that can be guaranteed if it's found in Christ, in what Christ has done. You see, church, God has written a blank check of eternal, never-ending blessing. And the Galatians are about to make that check null and void by adding their good works to it. How many times do we do that in our walk with Christ? How many times do we come to the Lord as though He needs us? How many times do I come to God and I'm like, yeah, I'm... God, God really loves me today. I've shared my faith with someone. I've read my Bible. And God the whole time is like, yeah, but none of that is the reason why I love you. None, none of that is the reason of why you are right with me. Yeah, but God, I, I go to church and I'm good to my neighbor. And God's like, yeah, but, but, but none of that is how you came into friendship with me. And we too, like the Galatians, are prone to leave the God we love. We too, like the Galatians, are prone to add to what Christ has already finished for us. And it's not the new man, it's the old man who, who cherishes independence. It's the old man who cherishes that self-assertion to the praise of his own glory. You see, the reason that we're not as obedient as we should be is not because we don't try hard. If I ask you, how many of you try hard to be obedient? Probably most everybody in here would say, yes, I, I do my best to do what's right. So it's not that we don't try hard. The problem is, is we don't really believe we are who God says we are. We, we, we really don't believe that Christ, we really don't believe that we, did, we lost it all. Like we lost it all, and Christ did it all, and we get it all. We, we really don't believe that. We really don't understand that we were dead in our sins and trespasses, having broken all the laws and commandments, because if you've broken one, you've broken them all. And then Christ came and did everything that needs to be done for us to be brought back into sonship with Christ, with God. And you get it all, church. You get it all. Justification is a work of God's grace shown to us in Christ. And the reason that we're not as loving as we should be, 
or as maybe as the reason we're not as kind as we should be, is not because we're not trying hard. It's because we don't believe that that's who we are. We don't believe that Christ is in me and I am in Christ. We don't believe that already, right now, God has said to you, well done, my good and faithful servant, because you are in Christ. Like there is nothing that you're going to do from now until you get to be with God that is going to make Him love you any more than He loves you right now. You see, there's a warning, sort of a a danger here. And the danger is this. These These aren't like pagans. These aren't like pagans that are trying to convince the Galatians that they need Jesus plus they need to be circumcised. Or they need Jesus plus they need to memorize so much Scripture. Or they need Jesus and they need to eat this kind of food. These are church people. These are religious people that are trying to convince the Galatians that you need Jesus, but you also need this over here too. It's a little bit of Jesus and it's a little bit of your self-reliance. And Paul is crying out, don't abandon Christ. Don't leave the treasure for the trash pile. Don't leave the banquet table table for the garbage bin. You see, in the irreligious world, it's it's really easy to see when we're putting our when people are putting their confidence in the flesh, right? God God lays it out for us. In the irreligious, the works of the flesh are easy: sexual immorality, sensuality, adultery, envy, fits of rage, jealousy, rivalry. But in the religious world, right? In our world that we live in, we sort of it's easy to hide, right? It often manifests itself in sort of this philosophy of, philosophy of Christian growth that encourages people to begin the race with faith, like put your faith in Christ, but you know what? Sweat and blood and human effort will get you to heaven. That's not the gospel. Now, that's not the gospel at all. Why would God need my sweat and blood to get me to heaven when He sent His Son to give His sweat and blood? Because I couldn't get it done. And so Christian, today, don't add to what Christ has done. Enjoy it. Enjoy the fact that God is pleased with you. Enjoy the fact that you have God's smile. Right? It's the little kid that knows that he has this dead smile that gets to enjoy the baseball game, right? But the little kid who's worried about his dad getting on to him or making him run or he's trying to please his dad, he can't enjoy the game because he's so afraid he's going to displease dad. So it's the same with us. You have God's love. Enjoy it and live a life that is pleasing to him. Listen to this. From We'll finish with this. Hebrews 6. At the end of this passage, he gives this example of Abraham. And he's like, look, if you're, if you're going to be a child of Abraham, and you're going to be a part of God's family, that comes by faith. It comes by the promise of God. And listen, listen to Hebrews 6. 
It says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is finally, final for confirmation. So when God desired to show them, them more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable nature of his purpose, he guaranteed it with a promise. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have a strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. And we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so what is being said here in Hebrews is that Christ has already done it all. And because He's done it all, God can make it a guarantee for you. But the only way God can guarantee it is if it's wrapped up in the nature and the promise of who God is. See, the reason it can never be guaranteed to us the reason it can never be guaranteed on works, right, is because we're going to fail. You're, we're going to mess it up. If God scratched our record today and said, you don't have any sin against you, and we got to start again by tomorrow morning, in fact, by the end of the evening, we'd have already broken another law. And so the only way that it can ever be guaranteed to us is if it's based on God's nature and character and His unchangeableness. You see, Luther, I don't know if you saw the little quote at the beginning. This is what he said. He says, I have lost touch with Christ the Savior and the Comforter, and I've made him the jailer and the hangman of my poor soul. And that's what the Galatians were in trouble of doing. If they looked to the law, if they looked to their own self-reliance, then Luther would say, listen, if you look that way, then Jesus can only be your jailer and your hangman because you can't get it done. But Luther says, if you would allow the law and the commandments to lead you to Christ, Christ will be your Savior. He will be your comforter. He will be the cleft of the rock for you. You see, the only way to avoid the wrath of God is to be in Christ. Think about this. You know, oftentimes a church has sort of missed it on these kind of things. Like, we talk about sins, and we, we, we talk about the sin of homosexuality, or we talk about the sin of greed, or the sin of selfishness, or the sin of pride, or the sin of sexual immorality. Do you, do you know that none of those things are really going to send people to hell? You, you know what really sends people to hell? Self-righteousness. That... Right? Because if sin is what sent people to hell, then all of us will be going to hell too, right? We're, we're all sinners. None of us in here are innocent. The only thing that makes us different is we come to realize, golly, I can't get it done. God, my self-righteousness is going to get me condemned. Jesus, save me. Save me. Do you see that? Like the reason people will experience God's wrath is because they won't accept Christ's righteousness. Because we're all so proud that we think we can get it done. And guess what? You were there too one day. And Jesus came. And by His grace, He shined into your heart. 
And you said, oh my gosh, I need Christ. I need Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we are all great sinners. And just like Paul, Father, the pastor behind the pulpit this day is the greatest. God, we are all in need of a Savior. We are all in need of Your grace and Your mercy and Your kindness. And God, even as Christians, God, we are prone to go back to trying to get it done on our own. God, even as those who come to Sunday every week, God, we need to hear the Gospel message over and over and over again because we're so prone to leave the God that we love. We're so prone to to turn God's law into a ladder and begin to try to climb our way back into Your good graces. So Father, we come as Your church today and Your people and we acknowledge we can't get it done. God, we acknowledge we bring nothing to the table. We have nothing to offer You except our sin. And God, we are thankful that Christ has taken our sin and has paid for it and has given us His righteousness. God, help us to believe that. God, help us to guard that and protect that. And God, may we shout that message to the world that we too are sinners, but there's a Savior and He waits with open arms to save you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we've heard the gospel preached, we've heard God's word preached, we're going to come to the table and we're going to see, see the gospel here. You see, God's very generous. He knows that sometimes we're, we're not very good listeners, or maybe the preacher is not a very good preacher, right? So he gives us this table, this simple little table, some bread and some juice and some wine that reminds us of the reason for the hope that we have. Right? We can, we can smell it. We can taste it. And we can be reminded of the goodness of God. And it says that on the night that Christ was betrayed, after giving thanks, He took the bread and He broke it. And He says, this is my body which is broken for you. And it says in like manner, He took the cup and He says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. That This covenant was forged not by your effort, It was forged in my blood. It was guaranteed in my blood. And it was given to you by my grace. And so as we come to the table today, if if you're here and you know Christ, this table is for you. But if you're here and you don't know Christ, don't come to the table, don't come to the sign, but go to the Savior first. Like let, Let the table point you to what really matters. And that's Christ dying for your sin and my sin. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this table. It's a really, really simple thing, and yet, Lord, you give it to us so that we're reminded of Christ's life and death and burial and resurrection. And we're reminded that not only do we come to you, 
for salvation, but God, the way that we grow spiritually and the way that we continue to mature in our faith is by feeding on Christ every day. Like every day, reminding ourselves, reading the scriptures, and reminding ourselves of your great love given to us in your death. So Lord, as we come to the table, would we see Christ more clearly and know him more certain in Christ's name. Amen.